0: So glad, as always, that you joined us. I'm still recording on location out here in the desert of California. Kind of hot today, but I'm in a nice, uh, cozy studio. So all's well, drinking my diet green tea, Lipton green tea citrus drink. So enjoying that and enjoying your company, albeit virtually. So glad that you're joining us for the podcast today. We're in uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, as you well know by now, and we're in a classic message uh, by Jeremiah on the topic of backsliding. I suppose that if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard that term backslide. And always remember that the word backsliding refers to people that know God, to people that have a relationship with God. So backsliding doesn't mean we lose our salvation. It doesn't mean that we lose the covenant promises of God. It doesn't mean that we become unsaved. What what it does mean is that as believers, we can go back in our our obedience. We can go back in our decision-making and we suffer the consequences of that. And here, Judah was following the same road that her older sister, Israel, had followed. And God said, Judah, you in part are a little bit more accountable because you have had the the example of Israel. So you've not learned from someone else's example. You're doing the same thing. And you've had better kings. You've had better promises. You've had the, the temple of God within your midst. And still you have backslidden against me. So there's a higher level of a culpability because you have greater opportunity. Look at verse number 14 of our text, Jeremiah 3, verse 14, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. Well, that's a pretty simple imperative. Turn. Uh, That's what repentance is, by the way. It's turning. It's, first of all, the turning of our thinking. Uh, Specifically, the word repentance means to change your thinking. But it will always result, sincere repentance, will always result in a change of action. And so, turn, O backsliding children. See the relationship there? You're mine. You belong to me, but you've wandered from me. Turn around. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. For I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. What what a great way of saying, uh, I am reaching out to you individually. Uh, I want you to come back. If there even be one of you, even if it's just a small minority of you, even though you're wrecked and ruined... Even though you're scattered abroad, turn to me, and I will bring you home. When the Bible talks about Zion, that's a metonymy there for Jerusalem and for the temple and for the presence of God. If you were to go to Israel today, I would, of course, love to have you join me on one of our trips with Land of the Bible uh, tours. But if, if, and by the way, that's landofthebible.org if you're ever interested But if you were to come with me, I would take you to the top of the Mount of Olives and I would point out to you uh, the panoramic view of of Jerusalem. I would show you what, what we call Zion. One of the hills of Jerusalem is actually called Mount Zion. But Zion refers sometimes to the entire city of God. And that's the point here. The point here is I will bring you home. I will bring you to myself. I will bring you to a place of restored relationship. So turn. Your job is to recognize your sin, to acknowledge it. Remember, we talked about that yesterday, and then to turn back to me. So what a great and magnanimous offer that is by the Lord. Verse number 15, and if you return, that's the point, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you With knowledge and understanding. So, when the Bible uses the word pastors here in verse number 15 in the Old Testament, it's not referring to pastors like you would think of me as a pastor or your local church pastor as a pastor, although the same basic definition is involved. A pastor is a shepherd, so the shepherds, the guides, but a pastor in the Old Testament could also refer to, and often did, most of the time did, refer to the civil leaders. So understand that back in, in God's economy of the Old Testament, in his nation, there, there was not this dichotomy between a secular leadership government and then a spiritual leadership. No, in, in God's country, among God's people, it was all supposed to be spiritual. Uh, the king and the, and the leaders should themselves have been leading people according to God's word. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 17, when Moses preached those messages to the second generation of the Israelites coming into the promised land, he said that the kings that you will one day have, make sure they read out of the book of the law every day of their lives. So what was God expecting? God was expecting that even the civil leaders would lead in a spiritual way. That even the civil leaders would be people that knew God, that knew the Word of God, that instructed people in the way of God. Remember, the average person didn't have a copy of the Bible like you have or like I have. And so they relied upon the people that were curators of the Word of God to teach that Word to others. I find it ironic because Jeremiah is preaching at a time when the Word of God has been essentially lost. Remember? During the days of Josiah, they actually relocated the word of God and then began to teach it again and preach it again. And what God is saying here is, that's my desire, is I want to give you shepherds, people, leaders in your life that will love the word of God, know the word of God and share the word of God with you, because that's what shepherds do. They lead and feed. They lead and feed. That's what shepherds do. They lead feet, and I could add the third one, and protect. And so I'm going to give you them. There's so much here. One thing I, I think I, I learned from this verse is that leadership, godly leadership, is a gift from God. I will give you pastors. I will provide this for you. So even today, I, I would say to each one of you, if God has placed godly leaders in your life that lead you, that guide you, that help you, that teach you, that, that's a special gift from the Lord. I think about Ephesians chapter 4, where the Bible says, and he gave some apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for uh, the, the, the perfection of the saints, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The point is that the leaders that God gifted the local church with are exactly that, gifts from Jesus to the church. We see an Old Testament example of that here when he says, I will give you pastors according to mine heart. People that have a heart for me, that that have a heart for the things I love. I love what it says about David, that he was a man after God's own heart, thought like God, loved like God, was entrusted by God, and that's what the Lord says here. I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you. So that's a primary job of pastors, feeding, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And I love both of those because knowledge refers to not only knowledge about the things of God and the word of God, but knowledge of God himself. So knowing God. It's one thing to know about God, to know facts about God. It's another thing to know God, to know him. And I want to give you pastors who have my heart, that can teach you knowledge, and then understanding. So understanding is the ability to take knowledge and apply it to specific situations in our life, to have that discernment, to have that ability to apply wisdom and knowledge to the specific situations of life to which we need to react. And these pastors are going to help you to understand how to live. So if you'll turn, remember our context, if you'll turn, if you'll admit, if you'll turn, if you'll come back to me, there's hope. And I will draw an eye to you by giving you pastors who will help you to understand me who will help you to know me. Isn't that what James said in James chapter four when he said, draw an eye to God and he will draw an eye to you. In essence, that's what Jeremiah is saying here. Acknowledge your sins. Turn to God. Come back to him. And God will bring the right kind of people, right kind of leaders into your life to help you to know me and help you to know my word. What, What a great promise That is, look at verse number 16. And it shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days. So now when the Bible says in those days, this is a reference to the future of Israel. Well, one day the northern and southern kingdoms will be reunited again. One day when Christ will rule and reign. One day when the kingdom will be brought, one day, that day is still future, by the way. That day will take place after the great tribulation, after Daniel's 70th week, when King Jesus will indeed return to this earth, you and I with him as New Testament saints, and the kingdom of Jesus will be set up on planet earth in those days. In those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And what does that mean? They shall say no more the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind. They won't even think about the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Or n- neither shall they remember it. Neither shall they visit it. Neither shall that be done anymore. What is Jeremiah preaching here? They won't ask for the Ark of the Covenant. There will be no Ark of the Covenant. They won't visit it. They won't even think about it. That doesn't even seem possible. I mean, especially to the people back then. Remember, Jeremiah's preaching at a time when the Solomonic temple is in place, where the temple of God is the most beautiful building in the world. The Ark of the Covenant is the featured piece of furniture in that temple. It's the very place where the Shekinah glory of God sits on earth. It's the place where God meets man. It's the most holy place of all, the Ark of the Covenant. And yet the Bible says there's coming a time in those days when they will not even think about the Ark of the Covenant. There will be no Ark of the Covenant. What does that mean? What that means is there's coming a day when Jesus himself will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And instead of the Ark of the Covenant as a symbol of a place where God meets behind a curtain where nobody can really get to him except the high priest once a year. No, there will come a day when King Jesus will sit upon a throne. There's no need for a symbol of the presence of God when God himself, God the Son, is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. I don't need a piece of furniture when I can see the God of the furniture, when I can see Jesus himself. And that's what Jeremiah's driving at. Hey, turn back to to me, said God. I love you. Come back. I'll bring you back to Zion. I'll give you the right kind of leadership. I'll lead you back to myself. And by the way, there's coming a day when you're going to see Jesus here. There's coming a day. Now, the word Jesus is not used, but Messiah. You'll see me. There'll be no need for these props and symbols for God himself shall occupy that throne. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. I'm gonna quit there in verse number 16. We'll jump back into verse number 17 next episode. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.